0: Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast.
1: I want to answer some questions that people have been asking about my recent podcasts. I'm very happy to do that. Um, there, there, it's, it's fascinating how many people are interested in Mormonism, how many people are interested in Mitt Romney, how much Mormonism is kind of at the center of our national debate and our national discussion. And of course, it's that's only going to increase in the coming months as the uh, conventions and then the, uh, the fall election takes place. And I, I want to say before I answer the first question that I've been asked, that part of the reason there is such a... Such serious questions and such a a vacuum of understanding about all of this is uh, two things. First of all, we don't teach religion in our schools, and I want to say this every chance, every time I get a chance. um, There is absolutely no First Amendment reason that public schools cannot teach. Uh, The great religions of the world. That is not forbidden by the First Amendment. It's not forbidden by any state constitutions I know of. It's essential to understanding world history. Uh, It's essential to understanding our times. And, uh, And I just strongly urge those of you who listen to this podcast, who are involved in the public schools, some of you are on school boards, some of you are public school teachers, some of you are principals, and those of you, of course, in private education, I strongly urge that you teach the great religions of the world. Uh, just simply as academic f- factors, not, of course, as matters of personal faith. And then second of all, I strongly urge all the religious institutions that are represented out there, churches and synagogues and, and their mosques. I've heard recently from some, uh, some Muslim leaders. Delighted to have you listening. Um, I strongly urge that you teach the great religions of the world. Uh, help your people to know what's going on. Don't let them be ignorant. Make sure they know these things. Now, I, I have said uh, rather controversially uh, in times past that from an evangelical perspective, that Mormonism is a cult, c u l t, and and let me explain. Uh, not no kind of backtracking here, but let me just explain briefly uh, why this is important. When when the word cult is used. It all depends, its meaning all depends on who's using it. If a policeman uses the word cult, he probably means somebody, some group of people who's operating uh, in secret, out of the reach of the law, uh, according to some religious uh, idea, that uh, that has them doing things that are inappropriate. That's probably what he means. Uh, the media usually means some freaky religious group somewhere, you know, that's not part of the the mainstream, not part of one of the great religions and a recognized denomination or what have you. Uh, when an evangelical, when a conservative Christian, a Roman Catholic, etc., any, any 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 Christian who kind of owns biblical distinctives and traditional Christian theology uses the word cult, they're not meaning it in the Jim, Jim Jones sense of uh, you know, some strong personality who's deceiving people and leading them blindly down the path to destruction. Uh, they're using it in the, in the, in the technical sense of uh, a religion that is a distortion, a modification, some would use the word perversion, of traditional Christian doctrine. So very quickly, Mormonism, without question, comes into the world when it first does in 1830, uh, comes into the world with a a critique of all, all Christianity that has existed at the time, in fact, all religion. And according to Joseph Smith, God the Father, God the Son showed up and said, all religion is an abomination and all of it is corrupt. So that opening salvo, so to speak, establishes with Mormonism the idea that they are other from traditional Christianity. That's their words, not ours. And I'm not opening up an argument with them. I, I've written a kind book on, on Mormons and all the political issues that are coming up and historical issues ca- called the Mormonization of America that'll be out soon. I mean, I, again, I, I try to strike always a, a gracious tone with the people I write about, even if I'm somewhat critical of them. Uh, so I'm not on some jag against Mormons. I am saying, however, that there's just no question that Mormon theology is not traditional creedal Christian theology. Therefore, Christians use the word cult. I'm not saying it's the best word. It's simply the word they use. So that answers one of the questions that we've been asked. Another question about Mormonism is, is is Mitt Romney a serious Mormon? I think I've been asked this before, but since now he's the nominee, I don't mind answering it real quickly again. Um, There is absolutely no question that Mitt Romney is a serious, serious Mormon. Uh, He is a sixth-generation Mormon. Uh, his great grandfather was a polygamist that 's why his family lived for a while in Mexico to escape american anti polygamy laws um, he is uh, he was a he went on mission the two year mission that Mormon young men are encouraged to do. He went to France was almost killed by the way in a car accident. Um, he has been a Mormon bishop, which is a, a number of rungs up the ladder, so to speak, of their uh, priesthood levels and of their church authority levels. Uh, so this is a man who is a serious Mormon, not only by virtue of the positions that he's held, but by virtue of his personal faith. It's why he has a family the size uh, that he does, that he has said this. It's why his wife converted to Mormonism so that she could marry him, and and probably out of other virtues of the faith. I don't mean to make that the only reason, but she certainly says she converted to, to to marry him and made that part of the picture. So there's just no question that if, for those who are saying, well, you know, he's a Mormon in the way that some folks are Episcopalians or some folks are Baptists, they check in, you know, Easter and Christmas, but they're not serious. No, can't make that case. Whatever virtues there are or are not of his involvement with Mormonism, Mitt Romney is a serious, serious Mormon. Now, other folks have asked me about Barack Obama's war on religion and, um, I, I think this phrase is unfortunate. I, there, I do not believe that there is a war on religion by the Obama administration. Now, there are certainly uh, interpretations of the, of the First Amendment. There are certainly administrative acts that have occurred in the military and in the executive branch, which are uh, contrary to what I think the spirit, not only the First Amendment is, but also the, the intent of the Founding Fathers regarding the role of religion in America. Um, Barack Obama certainly is trying to uh, lead a society that he believes is uh, primarily secular. And he believes, frankly, that religion ought to be kept out of the marketplace of ideas, certainly the the public square, uh, other than as it might influence you individually. He even says that when you are influenced by your religion towards a certain direction of public policy, you should articulate that public policy in non-religious terms when you step into the marketplace of ideas. So, he, I mean, he said this all along. He believes America is now a secular society, it's not a Christian society, and he leads it in terms of a wide separation of church and state, uh, and in terms of religion really needing to be marginalized from the public sphere. Well... Uh, that obviously is not where I am. That obviously is not where a lot of conservatives are. That's obviously not where a lot of people of faith are in America. But that has distinguished Barack Obama from the beginning. And it confuses people. How can he say the kinds of things he did in his famous resurrection speech around Easter time, uh, which he's done every year. He's been in office, by the way. Very powerful. How can he give the kind of talk he did at the national prayer breakfast and then you know, basically ban expressions of faith in certain uh, federal arenas? Well, it's because... He accepts the Supreme Court's 1947 Everson ruling, which essentially made Thomas Jefferson's phrase, separation of church and state, the law of the land. And that is what Barack Obama, who by the way is a constitutional law professor, uh, that's what he believes. So it looks like a war on religion. All it is is uh, a maintaining of a consistent stand. Um, On something that I think is wrong A wrong interpretation of law But it's not as though he's declared war on Christianity Because he's a Muslim We've covered that repeatedly And I I think that that is just a a rather odd interpretation of things A couple other questions One person has asked Why is it that preachers get in trouble They all say this from the pulpit Why would they get in trouble If they endorse a candidate Or preach support for a certain political party or basically turn their pulpit into um, a platform for a particular political candidate. And I, I want to say, first of all, that I don't think they should be doing that, by the way. I don't think that's the appropriate role for the church. But I do think that pastors and religious figures ought to be speaking about religious values in terms of politics and, and how our religious values ought to shape us politically. The reason that that is illegal is a rather interesting little story I can tell quickly. Um Lyndon Johnson, when he was running for office in Texas, running for re election uh, for the US Senate, uh, had been hammered by some religious organizations in Texas, especially, and some national organizations. And so he engineered uh, a modification of the IRS tax code that removed tax-exempt status from any organization that involved itself in endorsing a political candidate, attacking a political candidate, uh, endorsing a political party, etc. So it's not uh, a body of Supreme Court law. It's not a ruling. It's not uh, an act of Congress. Well, it was an act of Congress, but it, uh, it was not a, a law uh, written by Congress. It was instead uh, written into the IRS tax code. And what is threatened... Is that If a pastor becomes too vocal about politics, he can lose his tax-exempt status. Now, I think down the road, what we're going to see is churches refusing tax-exempt status uh, and and, and, uh, going ahead and paying taxes in order to be able to speak forcefully about uh, these issues, these political issues. A lot of folks are going to be bothered by that because they don't think they should have to do that. I don't think they should have to do that either. Uh, But the bottom line is that is the law. It's not going to change. And um, unless that uh, provision, the tax code, is reversed, and I, and I don't, don't see that happening in our generation, then we're going to continue to have these restrictions. So the bottom line is I do think you're going to see a movement pretty soon of churches, at least independent churches, refusing tax-exempt status so they can speak freely about politics. But that does explain that issue. And if your pastor or your religious leader, your, your, whoever you, leads you, gets up and says, I can't do certain things, but I can talk generally about you know, our religious values and, uh, related to politics, that's why, uh, unless it's a denominational uh, policy. And it's because Lyndon Johnson made sure there was a provision in the, in the IRS code in the 1950s uh, that remove tax exempt status from those who spoke about politics. And then finally, uh, there is the, uh, a question about the t- talk that I did um, on being Christian and hard right. I made the case in that talk that uh, the hard, angry, right-wing perspective uh, does not grow organically from Scripture for those who are in Ju- the Judeo-Christian stream. And uh, the question though was about, was this, a person said, uh, does the Bible speak to matters of politics? Does the Bible guide us in public policy? Uh, this particular person said, I thought that the Bible was simply about your individual faith in God. It's a great question. And the bottom line is that what you have in the Old Testament uh, is our two kinds of law. We have the ceremonial law which would be the sacrifices and the feasts and the holy days and all that kind of ceremonial priestly law. And then you have the civil law. The civil law is all about courts and it's all about testimony and it's all about formulas for people paying folks back when they've been harmed on their property. And it's all about death penalties and who you can marry and who you can't and uh, all of that kind of thing. That's the civil law. Now, modified by the virtues and and the compassion of Jesus, modified by the teachings of Jesus, the civil law continues. The ceremonial law is fulfilled in Jesus. He's the once-for-all sacrifice. He's the, uh, you know, he's the high priest. All of that Old Testament ceremonial law is fulfilled. In fact, Colossians tells us these were the shadow of things to come. The reality, however, has come in Christ. So for Christians, that's the deal. However, the civil law uh, still can give us wisdom, still can give us guidance. And my contention in that uh, talk about Christian and hard right is that we've not paid attention to a lot of what that is. We talk about a biblical worldview, some folks in Christian in, in politics, but we don't pay attention to those teachings. For example, you cannot consult the Bible on matters of a civil, uh, a commonwealth and civil life and civil law and not recognize that the state has an obligation to the poor. You, you, you cannot read that law uh, and not realize that unjust courts and the wealthy oppressing the poor um, and, uh, and and uh, repressive laws are an abomination to God and that that is as much a concern to him as would be other issues that get more pressed like homosexuality or you know theft and murder and things of that nature. So I am always challenging Christians to think biblically and by that I don't just mean that we have some kind of a sloppy, uh, compassionate kind of thing for everything that moves and we don't pay attention to what the law is. I do believe, and this is certainly the teaching of church history, that there is a great body of compassionate, wise law that arises organically out of the scriptures when we bring it uh, in the proper theological way into the New Testament that gives us guidance and direction for our times. It does not produce the Democratic Party. It does not produce the Republican Party. What it produces is something that is an entirely third kind of perspective. And that's what I believe that Christians, I think Jews would agree with me as well on this, of course, apart from the issue of Christ, that there is a great body of biblical law that is greater wisdom than we are living out today. And I think we need to recover it in our time.
0: Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author a popular speaker, a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox Cable News and CNN, and a blogger for the Huffington Post. His groundbreaking books on faith and American politics include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Faith of Barack Obama, and the upcoming The Mormonization of America. You can learn more about Stephen at www.mansfieldgroup.com or connect with him on Facebook and on Twitter under the name Mansfield Writes. The Stephen Mansfield Podcast is produced by Isaac Darnell for Chartwell Literary Group.